Hollywood is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! Greetings, greetings, greetings. Welcome to this installment of Rated LGBT Radio. I am your host, Rob Watson, and today we... We pivot away from a lot of the art-oriented uh, shows we've done uh, the past few episodes, and now we are looking back towards um, legislation and politics, um, particularly focusing on the state of Florida. And um, out of Florida today, it is a little bit of a mixed bag, although uh, Florida of late has not been stellar. Uh, the governor there uh, signed anti-trans legislation on the very beginning of gay pride, which was a real slap in the face um, across the board, just letting us know exactly where we stand in his eyes. Um, And uh, today the GOP there has introduced a really horrible bill um, sort of in the the GOP vein of um, criminalizing and stepping on individuals' health rights, uh, just as they did in Texas. Um, but this one uh, criminalizes health care for trans youth and um, is particularly heinous, um, particularly because a lot of that health care is needed to uh, keep those trans youth from suicide and uh, really detrimental fates. So it is, um, it, it is a pretty horrible thing that they are legislating and wanting to put through there. Um, on the flip side, there is legislation also introduced in Florida that would um, would outlaw the criminal defense of um, you know gay or trans panic, which has been uh, made illegal in several states, including California, uh, where you in the old days people could justify violence against gay or trans people because they panicked at being approached by them. Um, and that is, is no longer legitimate. And um, states like Florida have now introduced legislation to make that illegal, which is a good thing. So we're going to talk about that mixed bag, and we are talking about that mixed bag with one of our favorite people, Brandon Wolf. Uh, Brandon happens to be the Central Florida Department Officer and Media Relations Manager for Equity Florida, Equality Florida. And um, he's a good friend of ours. He is a survivor of the Pulse shooting and massacre. Uh, He went on to found the Drew Project um, as a result of that and went high, high, high into activism, um, not only for LGBTQ rights, but also to prevent gun violence and um, save others from the horror that he personally has lived through. Um, Before we bring Brandon on, I do want to welcome my esteemed colleague and co-host, Brody Levesque, who is also editor of the LA Blade. Uh, Welcome to the show, Brody. Hey, good afternoon, Rob, and good afternoon, morning, slash evening, whatever time you're listening to us across the world uh, and the U.S., we thank you very, very much. Uh, and we appreciate uh, you subscribing to our podcast. Um, it's been kind of a week 
of, of back and forth in the news, Rob. But a couple of things that I did want to note before uh, we talk to Brandon. Um, in a bit of LGBT history, and in kind of a sad way, uh, a couple of days ago, uh, an actor passed away at age 79, a Disney actor. But what made this particular Disney actor unique was that he had to hide his sexual orientation. On Tuesday, former child actor uh, Thomas Tommy Kirk, who was best known for a starring role as Travis Coates in the classic 1957 Disney film Old Yeller and its sequel, Savage Sam, passed away. Kurt was part of a stable of young people who was mentored by Walt Disney himself and the studio producers that were extremely popular, including other actors such as Kurt Russell, Kelly Mills, and his co-star in the uh, 1959 Disney film The Shaggy Professor, uh, Annette Puccinelli. Um, throughout his entire career with Disney, uh, Kirk had struggled with hiding his sexual orientation. Uh, and then later, unfortunately, um, he was outed, and it just didn't end well. He later left uh, his career as an actor uh, and went on to do other things. Uh, he passed away uh, at his home in Las Vegas, Nevada. And so we wish him, you know, pleasant journey forward, wherever that may be. Um, in a little bit less horrible way of looking at the world as far as trans people go, I want to point out a piece that was written uh, for the Los Angeles Blade by the wonderful host of this program, Rob Watson. Uh, and this was spurred by a father of trans uh, son who were a musical duo on NBC's The Voice. They made history um, on this particular episode, uh, and I thought it was kind of cool. They uh, absolutely wowed the celebrity judges and ended up going with Ariana Grande. Uh, but I think the, the, the most important part of it uh, that was groundbreaking was the fact that the younger of the two uh, was trans. And in a statement, said, I do have a special connection to the concept of a blind audition where the only thing that matters is the art and who the person is inside. And that came uh, from 19-year-old uh, singer Sasha Allen. So I, I just wanted to point right. that out. I thought that was, yeah. that was pretty Actually, cool. I wanted to make, yeah, I wanted to make some comments about that because um, sure. it, ironically, when I was watching The Voice, um, before they came on, you know, like the singer or two ahead of, of them, you know, not having any knowledge that they were coming on, it kind of occurred to me, it's like, oh, you know, I've seen trans women um, contestants on The Voice and um, different representation, including um, a couple of drag performers um, have been on some of the singing shows. And it just occurred to me that even though I know of um, some uh, male trans singers, I had never seen one on The Voice. Um, um, our friend uh, uh, Brody Ray has been on America's Got Talent, but not on, he wasn't on, or he or any other artist wasn't on The Voice. And then lo and behold, two singers later, um, they introduced the, the father and son duo. Um, I, I have to say, even if it had not been a blind audition, um, the young man and not that this matters at all, I would not have identified him as being trans had I seen him. It, it, I would, had to be told that he was trans 
in order to have that piece of information. But they, they covered it in an interesting way, I thought, because it came out as an aside in the bio um, little snippet they do before um, the judges see them. But when the, they came on stage and um, when Ariana turned around, it was very funny because you could tell what a hero she was to him because he pra- almost stopped singing. He was so thrilled that, that she had spun her chair around. And being an LGBTQ icon, I can sort of relate to why. But um, the thing that didn't happen was they got accolades. They had a very um, wonderful sound together, um, father and son, um, and they were very much looked alike. He looks very much like a younger version of his father. Um, and that was the conversation. And um, the voice stepped away from that kind of television sensationalizing gotcha moment where they reveal to the judges, ha-ha, I'm trans, and the judges go, oh, wow, ooh, ooh, we didn't know, ooh, ooh, ooh. They, they, they didn't do that at all, and it, it was as the way it should be. It's like these are just people being themselves, and that's it. And I declare refreshing. So anyway, that, that was yeah, my no, I, uh, feedback on that. Yeah. It, it really was. Um, and uh, a couple more things before Brandon uh, comes on. Uh, in Texas, high school students at a uh, high school in Temple, Texas, which is a small mid-sized city between Austin and Dallas, uh, walked out of class earlier this week after one of their classmates, who is trans, a trans female, uh, was denied access to a restroom and to changing rooms uh, and then was actually um, more or less slandered in a piece of uh, transphobic remarks by a faculty member uh, who told her that she didn't need to be in those spaces because she was not, quote, actually a girl. Uh, Over the weekend in Minnesota, I had written a story about another high school and another group of kids uh, led by a trans man who led a protest over some anti-LGBT actions going on in the school in Tennessee, There was a case where uh, parents uh, got upset because uh, during a homecoming parade at a local high school uh, on an LGBT GSA-sponsored float, two of the girls did a quick peck. I mean, I I wouldn't even call it a kiss. Everybody lost their mind. Uh, The kids said, ah, we're not having this. And after the board meeting, they walked out of class. So uh, I think everybody's taking pages from Brandon's uh, school of this is how we do this. Uh, so with that, I will let you bring the guilty party on. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> so, and with that, um, like I said, we'd like to welcome to the show um, a good friend of ours. We've had Brendan on several times. Um, well, you definitely want to check out some of the past episodes where um, he tells his full experience um, that horrible night at Pulse Nightclub, um, which um, really impacted him greatly, but has actually catapulted him into the forefront of fighting for other people's rights and to make the world a better place. Brandon, welcome to the show. And, uh, man, I feel for you fighting the fight in Florida. It has not got to be easy these days. 
It's not. Uh, I should take out stock, I think, in Grey Goose because I drink my weight in it these days. But, um, yeah, the truth is... <laughs> The truth is I feel like uh, Florida is really a microcosm for much of what the country is experiencing. There's incredible division um, fueled largely by really cynical political actors who are interested in securing future elections. And the way they're doing that is by fomenting fear. They're soaking rage across the country. You have neighbors turning on each other at school board meetings, uh, showing up at each other's homes with picket signs. It's really um, kind of a dark and scary time to be not only in the state of Florida, but really in this country. Uh, and I especially feel for the trans young people who've been targeted by these lawmakers, by these cultural extremists, uh, and really turned into sort of political lightning rods in the process. Right. No, absolutely. Um, what can you tell us about this current uh, piece of legislation that was introduced today by the GOP there? Yeah, so um, really unfortunate piece of legislation. It's House Bill 211, um, and it's not the first time that we've seen a bill that would ban medical care for trans kids. Actually, the same lawmaker um, has filed this bill a number of years in a row. Um, the bill is, is really simple. It's two pages and one line, and essentially it says any medical professional uh, who performs certain surgeries or procedures or prescribes, let's say, hormone treatments, to a transgender minor is guilty of a first-degree misdemeanor facing up to a year in prison. And there's a couple of things that are really egregious about the bill. I think, first of all, it preys on people's misunderstanding about what it means to be transgender and certainly a transgender kid. Um, it talks about, you know, performing gender confirmation surgeries on transgender young people, which is not happening broadly in this country. Um, but it sort of preys on that idea that people have that we're, we're doing something harmful toward kids by allowing them to, you know, be who they are, be who they truly are, to affirm who they identify as. Um, so that's the first part to me that's really egregious. And then, you know, one of the other things that's really egregious to me is this is about the same party who has paraded around the country saying, you know, no government should intrude on any medical decision that ever takes place. It should always be between a person and their doctor. Um, that same party is now injecting themselves into the medical decision of a trans young person, their parents, and their doctor. So the hypocrisy and the irony here is, is so deep and so rancid. Um, it, it's really quite disgusting, to be honest. And, you know, I think we run the risk because the person who submitted and filed this bill is uh, one of the most extreme members of the legislature He's not well-liked within his own party. They actually moved him to an office in the basement of the Capitol, which I didn't know was possible. Um, but, you know, you might, you, we run the risk of saying, well, if it's this guy who's filing the bill, uh, it'll never go anywhere because not even his own party likes him. But the truth is they're closer aligned to him than they are to anyone else. Last year he was the first person to file a ban on trans kids playing sports in the state of Florida. And what do you know, the leadership picked up that bill, ran with it, and that's now the law of the land here in this state. So we're in a really precarious position here in Florida, and we're not the only ones. We're one of like 20-plus states this year that have faced similar legislation. Uh, and again, I just feel really, really deeply sorry um, for the trans young people who are just trying to exist in the world and constantly finding themselves as the brunt of these attacks. Yeah, it's, it's particularly horrible. Um, the, the banning trans youth from, from sports um, is egregious, and it, that is 
is bad, and obviously just the fact that it exists is demeaning um, to trans kids who should be encouraged to put their talents forth um, like any other kid. Um, This one, though, goes even deeper because preventing Mm -hmm. these kids, particularly from the hormone therapy, that really gives them space to find themselves and to come to terms with themselves before their body um, sort of biologically makes choices that they don't really want to make um, is, is absolutely vital. It's been proven to be vital to their mental health. Will this stand up um, if it passed in, in a court of law? I don't know. Uh, that's a really good question. My hope is that we actually don't have to find out because we beat the bill in the legislature. Right. Uh, I don't, I, you know, I'm, I'm reluctant to have a lot of faith in the judicial system that's been stacked by far-right conservatives for so long. Um, but the truth is, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, we don't have a lot of time to find out what the potential ramifications of a bill like this might be because we're talking about life-saving medical care for transgender kids. And I want to put this in perspective. We already know that LGBTQ young people are at higher risk of discrimination, violence, bullying. They're at higher risks of, of you know, suicidal ideation and attempted suicide. But that number jumps dramatically when you're just talking about trans and non-binary kids. The Trevor Project did a study in 2020 that showed that over 50% of trans and non-binary kids in the country seriously considered attempting suicide. We're talking about over half. That means the majority of trans and non-binary kids in this country seriously considered attempting suicide last year. That is a crisis. That is a, a healthcare crisis that we have to address. And to take away one of the remaining um, sort of tools or weapons we have to fight back against, you know, that mental health crisis in this country is unthinkable. It's unconscionable. And when you think about how hard it is to be a young person on this planet right now, you've got a, a raging pandemic that has taken you out of the classroom. You've been forced onto Zoom for everything. You've been cut off from your friends and your social interactions. And for trans and non-binary youth, that may mean you're trapped now in a home situation that's not safe. And then you take right. away their last lifeline, which is affirming who they are. And you can imagine how disastrous that would be for those young people. So I'm really hoping we don't have to wait to find out, you know, what a Neil Gorsuch uh, Supreme Court might do to trans children. I'm hoping that we're able to kill this thing in the legislature. Right. And, and what do you think the prospects are? You know the makeup of the legislature there. Of the, to your point, the, the party leaders are aligned somewhat with this, this heinous um, particular uh, individual, but will, do you think this will have traction with them? Yeah, we'll see. I mean, you know, I'll say this about Equality Florida. Uh, we have successfully beaten, until last year, we successfully beat every piece of anti-LGBT legislation that came through the Florida state legislature. So we've got a really good track record. I think we know what to do. We have really strong tactics. Um, We have a really, really broad supporter base. Um, But the truth is last year we did lose uh, a piece of anti-LGBT legislation for the first time in 25 years, made it through the legislature, was signed by the governor. And it wasn't just signed by the governor. He held a press conference where he put his young daughter on his lap and proudly signed it in front of television cameras. Um, So we know that the climate is ripe 
for anti-LGBTQ legislation. We also know that this is a national trend because lawmakers like Governor DeSantis and, you know, House Speaker Sprouls here in the state of Florida, they've gone to the right-wing think tank and said, listen, we're losing grip on power in this country. Our, our positions are not popular. We don't have a legislative agenda. How do we win moving forward? And these right-wing think tanks led by the Heritage Foundation and others essentially said, you make culture wars. You pick on the most vulnerable people in society. You demonize them. You weaponize the hate against them. And you use that, that anger and that hatred to fuel election wins down the road. So while if you'd asked me five years ago if a bill like this might get over the finish line, I probably would have said, nah, not a chance. The truth is we really don't know, and it's going to take all of us pushing back against that rhetoric, against the hate, against the anger, because it's everywhere, and it's permeating our politics. And if we don't all get engaged and start pushing back against it, then the bills you're seeing in Florida and other states in the South are going to ripple across the country, and they're going to end up in your backyard before you know it. Right. No, absolutely. And it's, I think the, the thing that you kind of alluded to, is part of the empowerment there because now they see up on top this Supreme Court that that could could go in their favor easily as these bills or these concepts hit them. Um, so I think that is has put some speed to some of these things, uh, which is is horrible all the way around. Brody, I, what I'm looking at with this you know legislation is we seem to have yet another retread of this. Uh, what would be the strategy at this point uh, going forward uh, in order to block this bill or marginalize this bill? Give me kind of an idea of what the makeup in the – well, let's, let's start with the lower house is, uh, where this thing was obviously introduced, and then what kind of fight we're looking at over on the Senate side. Yeah, great question. So, you know, in terms of approach and sort of the makeup of the legislature, it's not great. The Florida House of Representatives is – if not a supermajority, you know, right almost there in terms of Republican leadership. So they have the votes to do virtually whatever they want to do in the House of Representatives. The Senate has a little more parity, but not much. I think Republicans hold the Senate by four seats or five seats, um, and they're looking to expand upon that in the, in the upcoming election 2022 cycle. Um, so the truth is that the numbers aren't really there for us in terms of, you know, Democrats can't show up to the fight and, and, you know, beat back a bill like this on their own. But that means that the strategy for us is really the same that it's been over the last couple of decades because Republicans have been in control of the state government here for a long time. So this is not new to us. And so the strategy remains exactly what the strategy has been for securing LGBTQ rights all along. It's been uplifting and amplifying the stories of people living in our community. I love the story that you shared um, at the beginning about kids walking out of their classrooms. I love what you talked about with Sasha Allen on The Voice, right? We need to see trans people living in our communities because remember that's how we've won rights so far. Think about how, you know, just your neighbor or your doctor or your family member living authentically was the thing that for a lot of people changed their perspective on the LGBTQ community. Think about how seeing two people in love, holding hands, kissing each other in the park, changed a lot of people's perspective on what it meant um, to support marriage equality. And so we're in a moment that we have to do the same thing. We have to lift up the stories of trans kids. We have to lift up the stories of their parents. 
We have to tell their stories with authenticity while they're here, not just when they're under assault. Um, and then on top of that, we have to make bills like this exactly what they are, which is radioactive and toxic from the very beginning. We have to name them and shame them right out the gate. We cannot wait until they're in their third committee or, you know, on the front page of the Washington Post because they're on the governor's desk before we mobilize our community around them. We need people in this fight right now in all 50 states. Mm -hmm. Um, Just another thing to sort of tag on there, Republicans in Florida and across the country have already identified that their next battleground is school boards. And that means that they're going to try to essentially fill school board seats with far-right extremists who hold these views and will help lock down some of these policies on a local level. That's the kind of granular fight we're in right now. And I just need people to be aware and, and understanding of the fact that if we're not ready to show up, in that fight in the same way, then we are going to get beat. So we've got to be ready to be on the ground in school board meetings, in hearings in the legislature, calling our lawmakers, uh, running candidates who believe in equality, believe in the rights of all to be treated with dignity and respect. We have to show up everywhere because they're showing up everywhere. And I think if we can do that, we have a really good chance of beating these things back across the country. Yeah, that's vital, Yeah, yeah, one of the things that I've been looking at, because I've been writing a lot of these stories, is trying to get people to have the identification with factor. That seems to be the missing element in a good deal of these battles going on. I know that in um, Florida, you guys have had uh, some success in some parts of the state uh, being able to do that, and I will note it's in places such as Broward, Dade, uh, you know, population centers that are, say, more bluish than reddish <laughs> when it comes down to policies. Uh, but then there's the other factor that you literally just mentioned. Um, I have a story that I've been working on today, Brandon. The National School Boards Association literally sent a list I mean, a letter listing their concerns to the President of the United States, federal law enforcement, and other assistance to deal with the growing number of threats of extreme violence and intimidation that's occurring across the United States. And it's not just the anti-mask, anti-vax. It's the, the Moms for Liberty, which actually got its start right there in Florida, screaming right. about critical race theory, which is not taught anywhere, and then trans kids. Now, I know that in Florida, your your gentleman Sabatini, or whatever he wants to call himself, seems to be also garnering some support uh, from some more of these radicalized Moms for Liberty groups and some of the same ones that are causing, you know, the National Association of School Boards to literally beg the administration for assistance and that organization, by the way, represents 90,000 school boards across the United States. It's of concern when these types of professional groups are literally asking the White House for protection. Okay. Right. From, you know, so talk to me a little bit about what's on the ground there and, and how it affects, you know, because where goes Florida goes the rest of some of these other places. Um, especially in the southern states, 
um, like Texas, Louisiana, Alabama, Georgia, mm-hmm. et cetera. Uh, but, you know, give me kind of a lay of the land, if you will, please. Yeah, well, you, you nailed it. I mean, we're seeing exactly the same things here in the state of Florida. Um, you know, school board meetings have become ground zero for a lot of these fights. Uh, and, and really thanks again to this sort of unholy marriage between far-right think tanks, groups like Moms for Liberty, the Heritage Foundation, and lawmakers who are cynical and desperately trying to cling to the power that they have um, and, and have been fueling and fomenting that sort of anger across the state. Um, I'm in Orange County, which is a pretty uh, progressive community. I think, you know, Orange County went for Joe Biden something like 65, 35. Um, but even at our own school board meetings here in Orange County, they've been largely taken over by people who are, you know, screaming about children being forced to wear masks, screaming about people being asked to take vaccines, and at the same time screaming about critical race theory and imaginary riots that we have to fight in the streets and, uh, you know, LGBTQ students being allowed to go to the bathroom in peace. All of these things have sort of merged into one beast in our school boards, in our city commission meetings, in our county commission meetings. And it's really alarming because it's not like a one-time flash in the pan. And so often that's what you know, movements can be. We, we get people together, we galvanize them, we're working on one piece of legislation and we show up to one or two commission meetings, we get what we're looking for and then we go away. Well, our opponents, opponents to equality, opponents to decency in our country have found a way to get people to show up every time. They're showing up every mm-hmm. single week, every single month, anytime there's a meeting, there are throngs of people there to push back against the progress we've fought really hard for in this country. Um, And you're right. Again, it's about these politicians who've now found a way to tap into that rage to fuel their political ambitions. Representative Sabatini is a great example. Um, He has filed to run for Congress. He really wants to be a member of Congress. Uh, We refer to him as Florida's Marjorie Taylor Greene. And so if you're familiar with MTG, you know exactly what I'm talking Mm -hmm. about. Um, But he is essentially building his political future on the backs of this angry, vengeful mob that shows up at school board meetings and city commission meetings. Uh, And it doesn't make people who live here feel very safe, to be honest. No, and what you're bringing up is super important because there's so much rhetoric coming from, uh, and it's coming from a lot of young people, where they're focusing more on the um, awkwardness of evolution of different progressive people, you know, in this kind of the culture, cancel culture kind of issues and all of that, rather than focusing on these more extreme right-wing people that they're, they're kind of writing off as that they're not going to be impactful, they're not going to have an effect, that they actually are, and, and we need to show up in those environments. Um, so I, I think that call to action is super important. Um, Brendan, I want to switch to the positive of Florida for a minute sure. to go over the, um, the legislation that actually sounds pretty damn good, which is the yeah. um, elimination of the panic, the gay trans panic defense. Can you tell us a little bit about yeah. that? Sure. We're really excited about this. So, you know, at Equality Florida, we don't just fight back against bad bills, although sometimes it does feel like that on the long days. 
Uh, we also do a lot of work to push really good policy and change in the state of Florida. And one of those things is the, the, the banning of gay and, and trans panic defense here. Um, the bill, I think, was filed by Senator Lauren Book, who happens to be the Senate Minority Leader. Uh, she's a fantastic ally, and we're grateful to have her in that position. Um, and essentially, it does the things that, that you talked about earlier. It, it tackles stigma head-on. Um, the gay and trans panic defense is, is pretty much the epitome of institutionalized homophobia and transphobia, and it's rooted in our legal system. When we talk about systemic oppression and systemic inequality uh, and systemic injustice, these are the sort of things that we're talking about. It's literally baked into our legal system. Um, and so, you know, we feel really strongly that Florida should join the other 15 states that have already eliminated the gay and trans panic defense. Um, as, as Brody alluded to, as Florida goes, so goes much of the South. And we feel like we have a really good opportunity here to join forces with Republicans um, in the legislature and get something over the finish line that we can all agree on, which is that no one should be able to hide behind an antiquated, homophobic, transphobic legal defense when they violently assault someone. Right. How, how do you feel about um, that having traction through, through both houses and, and getting signed? Yeah, well, again, we'll see. It depends on the climate of the legislative session. I will say that, you know, election years tend to be maybe a time when lawmakers are willing to reach across the aisle and have conversations they wouldn't typically be willing to have. Um, and I try to hold on to a glimmer of hope at all times that will pass good things, that will do good things. If I gave in to nihilism, I probably wouldn't do this work for very long, to be honest with you. Um, but I'm really, I'm really hopeful because I feel like, once again, if we can come to the table and agree on something, it's that people should be safe in our state. People should be protected from violent discrimination, and no one should be able to hide behind a legal defense that is, is totally out of touch with who we are as a society. Um, and so I'm going to hold on to my sliver of hope and say that, I think we can build some allyship here and, and get something good across the finish line. Yeah. And I would think that the PR side of this, that, you know, anybody who would be inclined to vote against that would have a hard time defending it. I mean, cause they're basically defending somebody's theoretical right to beat somebody up because of who they are. And um, that, that doesn't, especially in the, the culture today, would not uh, fly very far, um, even even for people yeah. who are not comfortable with transgender um, uh, folks. So yeah, yeah, uh, and you you, you anyway. know I'll note I'll note well I'll note that this is a moment when representation matters, uh, and we have an incredible lawmaker, Representative Carlos Guillermo Smith, who is the first openly LGBTQ Latinx lawmaker. Uh, in the state of Florida. He's from right here in central Florida in Orlando. He's a good friend of mine. He actually ran in the aftermath of Pulse. Uh, and one of the bill, the first bill that he filed and has continued to file throughout his career is a ban on assault weapons and high capacity magazines. Um, he's actually a, a victim of violent assault of, of a hate crime. Um, and so his perspective in the legislature talking about what it feels like to be violated in that way, not just violently assaulted, not just attacked by someone, but attacked by someone because of who you are and the way that makes you feel and the way it tears at your sense of self has been really invaluable. His, uh, his colleagues on both sides of the aisle have a lot of respect for him. Uh, and so his ability to go there and share his lived experiences 
and bring that to the table. I think it's fundamentally changed the way we do business in Tallahassee, uh, and I'm excited to see him championing a bill like this uh, because I think if there's anyone whose voice can help us achieve something like this, it's definitely his. Right, definitely, yeah. It, that and that is that's such a really good point because you know it's one thing to theoretically be against a bill like that, but when you are standing face to face with somebody who, you know, is the face of the bill, then you know it it, it becomes virtually impossible. Um, I mean, that's that's right, that's especially really when vital. it's, a, yeah. it's a, yeah, especially when it's a colleague that you've you know gone to dinner with that you've gotten drinks with. Uh, Representative Smith got married while he was in the legislature, so they, you know, many of them were at his wedding and uh, have met his husband. And so when you know somebody that deeply, we know how impactful those stories can be. Uh, and Representative Smith is just such an incredible advocate for us because he lives so authentically and is willing to share with his colleagues, um, you know, some of the most vulnerable points of his life. Right, absolutely. Brody? Well, one of the things that I think is important too, Brandon, is that we continue to elevate and give these stories like his a signal boost. I, I, you know, I and I probably sound a little bit like a broken record, but as a journalist and as someone who sits as the editor of a major LGBTQ publication in the United States, I realize how critically important it is. But I think one of the things that also helps is the shoe leather on the ground, which would include you folks at Equality Florida, uh, as well as the rest of the Equality Federation membership, uh, Centrelink and the LGBT centers. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll give a nod to the National Task Force. Task Force uh, does a, a brilliant job uh, with that. But, you know, mm -hmm. it also remains, I think, too, Brandon, um, it, that we have to highlight and specifically focus in on this. Uh, what type of things – now, I know, for example, uh, on the other flip of the coin, uh, you and Sarah and the Drew Project do a marvelous job. I want to give you guys a huge shout-out. Uh, they've raised oh, uh, an, an incredible amount of money for scholarships uh, for queer students in Florida. Uh, they do an amazing job of uh, working with the GSAs uh, around the Sunshine State. Um, but some of the work that the Drew Project does – is kind of almost married to what you're doing uh, with Equality Florida. So this long meandering statement of mine does have a question. And the question <laughs> is, what do you consider probably the most important aspect right now, given, for example, what we're talking about today and looking at not only your work with the Drew Project, but with Equality Florida for our young people, our LGBTQ youth? What messaging do we need to send them? Yeah, I appreciate you calling that out. And, and you know, I want to note that um, Equality Florida has a program called the Safe and Healthy Schools Program, and it was also birthed after Paulson. The Safe and Healthy Schools Program and the Drew Project share some qualities that I think are really important. And, and fundamentally, they believe that if we're really going to create a world where tragedies like Pulse don't happen anymore, if we're really going to create a world where we don't have to find out what a conservative Supreme Court is going to do about trans kids. And we don't have to be, you know, on the show talking about Representative Sabatini and what nightmarish bill he's concocted next. If we really want to create a world where we're not talking about the rights of trans kids to be treated as human beings, then we're going to have to start by uprooting hatred and bigotry where it starts. 
we can't try to solve the symptoms. We've got to go after the underlying root cause of the issue. And that starts really in schools. Kids spend a majority of their time in schools. Uh, that's where they learn a lot of life skills. It's where they build their first relationships. It's where they're first exposed to what the world looks like and how we treat other people. And so I think the, the goal of Equality Florida, of the Drew Project, of everything that I'm doing is about creating a world where LGBTQ young people can be safe and healthy and thriving in school. So we build a pipeline of talent for them to go off and be represented at seats of power everywhere so we can expand mm -hmm. what it means to be LGBTQ so that, you know, the LGBTQ guy running for president isn't the exception, he's the rule. And then on top of that, we're creating school environments where other young people are exposed to what it means like to be different and to learn that that doesn't mean we treat people as other, but we love them because they're human too. And I think if we go after that, if we do the things that we're doing right now, we, we give access to higher education to queer young people, we help establish gay-straight alliance programs where there's safe spaces for them to explore their identities, and then we give them resources to go out and share their stories with their peers, their colleagues, their community. We create a culture where it's okay to be exactly who you are, and oh, by the way, your neighbors know that it's okay too. Yeah, that's absolutely brilliant. Sorry, Brady, did you have another point? Well, yeah, I have one more thing. Uh, and this is just me shamelessly promoting it. But, Brandon, if you would be so kind as to let our listeners uh, know uh, how they can visit the Drew Project and Absolutely. be involved in donating and assisting you and Sarah in, you know, getting the good message and the good work, or as Representative John Lewis of Georgia once said, making the good trouble. Absolutely, yeah. You can go to the drewproject.org. That's D-R-U project.org. Uh, and check us out. There's, you know, we would, of course, love a donation. We would love your support. But more than that, we'd love for you to help spread the word. Our, uh, our Gay Straight Alliance student guide is on there. It's a resource so that young people, when they're hosting Gay Straight Alliance meetings, um, can add some, some bones to what they're talking about. They learn about LGBTQ history. They learn about what rights they have in the legal and political systems um, that is available and free for download. We want everyone to grab a copy. We want everyone to share it with the people that they know and love. Um, because at the end of the day, our goal is to, again, help educate people, help create a culture of affirmation and belonging, and then to help empower a new generation of LGBTQ people to go out and change the world themselves. Yeah. I just, I kind of want to go back to one point you made Brandon early on and, um, because I think it's really an important one for people not only to hear, but in order to plan their paths of involvement. Um, one thing that has always impressed me, and it's not just in LGBTQ interests, but also in any other um, segment and interest like, you know, climate change or, or just progressive plans in general, um, the Green Party, um, you know, people who are, you know, fiscally, you know, libertarian or whatever um, that, you know, of different philosophical um, positions. Um, a lot of alternate party kind of concepts, people wait around until there's a presidential election and then they try to toss mm -hmm. out some, some candidate that is going to run for president against the two parties and just change everything. And, it always seems like a fool's game because there is no infrastructure. 
know, if, if right. such a person were to win, there would be no Congress behind them. There would be no state legislatures behind them. It's like all the way down the pipeline, there would be no one. And, um, mm-hmm. and that is why it never works. But to your point, and it's, it's kind of a shame that the right is, are the ones that are, are actually implementing this, it, it is the school board level. It is getting involved at the, the grassroots level, getting, you know, being the voices of the community on the elected, you know, close to home boards, then the state legislatures, then the governor houses, then the Senate, then the Congress, then, then the presidency, and build up from That's there. Right. And I think we have a majority in this country that does not get involved, and um, yeah. they need to. Well, you're, you're absolutely spot on, and I appreciate you naming that that's what Republicans have done so effectively, right? And, you know, there's a <laughs> – I think we can all agree that President Barack Obama was a, was a great president. He is someone I long for <laughs> these days. Um, but at the same time, during President Obama's uh, eight years in, in office, we didn't heavily invest in local politics. We didn't build a significant bench in states like Florida and, and North Carolina – um, you know, we didn't heavily invest in state legislatures, and the Republican Party did, and we are seeing the fruit bear out from those efforts. They have sufficiently stacked uh, school boards and state legislatures and governor's mansions. They've sufficiently stacked courts across the country, um, and they're seeing the, the benefits of that. I think you're absolutely right about how involved people should be in every aspect of their lives. We have a, a local election right now. We have three, I think, three city commission seats that are up for, for, um, for election in the next couple of months in the city of Orlando. And when I talk to people, you know, for me, I'm, I'm plugged in now. It's been five years, so I feel like I'm a politico at, the, at, at this point. And mm-hmm. I ask people, you know, what are their thoughts on the local election? And a lot of them say, I didn't know there was one, or, oh, I don't plan on voting in it. And it's a little frustrating because the truth of the matter is that the president has far less impact on your life than the races that we're talking about. The person who sits on your city commission has far more impact on the way you live your everyday life than the president of the United States. That pothole that gave you a flat tire last week, uh, the funding that goes to the police officer that sits at a speed trap down the road, um, you know, whether your garbage gets picked up or not, the, the utility bill, you name it, affordable housing, all of those things are impacted by local and state government at a far higher degree than by the president of the United States. So my urge, just as it is yours, is for people to get engaged. If there's an issue you're passionate about, I guarantee you that there's an election coming up in the next year or two that would have a significant impact on that issue and the person who's running is not running for president of the United States. Right. No, absolutely. Um, Brendan, I know we've got limited time with you, but I want to ask you quickly what, um, because this is a passion of yours and, and I wholeheartedly agree with you on um, the prevention of gun violence. What, what are you seeing on that front these days? Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, you know, I think we're, we're continuing to make progress. I was with the president at the White House Uh, back in April, uh, and we had a conversation about gun violence. I was back in the White House in June. We had another conversation about gun violence. Um, Listen, it's another uphill battle, and, you know, states like Florida and others are the front lines of those battles. 
Um, but the beautiful thing that I'm seeing is, is a couple of things. The president put real dollars behind community violence intervention programs. We know that those work. When we get to the root cause of violence and we start to interrupt it at its core is when we see some, some real positive traction and pushing back against gun violence. So I was happy to hear the president commit to not a, not a small amount of money to community violence intervention programs across the country. I was happy to see the president commit to, um, you know, putting forward a suite of sort of, I guess, tailor-made packages, legislative packages that states can take up around extreme risk protection orders. I was happy to see him nominate uh, David Chipman to the ATF director role. Unfortunately, he ended up pulling that nomination because Republicans in the gun lobby shot that one down. But um, I think ultimately I've been – I've been pleasantly um, surprised at the level of commitment by the president and his administration around tackling gun violence. What I want to see is that continued grassroots energy, the same energy that showed up in Washington, D.C. for March for Our Lives. I want to see that each and every day in our communities as we continue Mm -hmm. to push back against the scourge of gun violence in this country. Well, you, uh, I hope everybody hears your message, and I, more importantly, I really hope everybody embraces your spirit because um, you are Thank phenomenal you. and, and um, a, a true hero, and I, I, I just love you to death and, and hope you, know, that you, you continue moving forward and forward. We, we need you so, you know, so desperately. Um, Brody, do you have any other comments? Questions? I, I, I know that uh, Brandon's got to go. Uh, I just want to have a quick comment. Uh, folks, you can find Brandon at the Drew Project. You can find him at Equality Florida. Or you can do what I do and follow him on Twitter. It's Brandon Wolf, which is at B. Joe Wolf. And uh, he's always got some really good tweets. So uh, actually, it's, it's kind of a topic. Apologies for my language. If you're well, tuning in, just apologies in advance for my language. <laughs> I, my, my two favorite uh, Floridian tweeters, um, ironically, is uh, is Cameron and you. So, I mean, I, I love you, too. Oh, well, my uh, Cameron, language isn't nearly as bad as his, so we're good. Yeah, now, Cameron, 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 is, Cameron is a lot worse, but he's only 21. He's not quite as seasoned, and... Uh, yeah, well, that's just the way it goes. Uh, Brandon? Yeah, we need uh, that just as much we as we need, need the that. other. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is true. Uh, did you have anything else that you wanted to add? Because I know you got a function you got to get to. I, no, just thank you so much for making space for this. I know that you had um, other folks lined up, and I just appreciate your urgency and passion around the, the issues, uh, especially here in the state of Florida. It's, it's a scary time to be a trans young person in the country, and especially here in Florida, but um, having allies in the fight really helps. I'm really grateful for you. Uh, I am off to meet with uh, one of the candidates for governor running against Ron DeSantis, so wish me luck for that. Um, but outside of that, always happy to come back and give you an update on what's happening here in Florida. Okay, Brandon, so you, if, that's you Charlie, have, if that's Charlie Chris, make sure you tell Charlie that Brody LeVac from Loiters says so well. <laughs> okay, I will do that. <laughs> and, and, and and even if it isn't him, you can say Brody just said hello anyway. The guy, whoever it is, I will. No Brody. I'll, I'll, bring, I'll bring Brody and Rob into the space with me. <laughs> Thank you. Well, yeah. 
Well, Brandon, you always have a, a chair and a voice here um, anytime you want it. So um, that that is an absolute open invitation. Um, we we absolutely you adore so you and, and believe in you, uh, more importantly. So, uh, But I do want to respect your time, so we will let you go. And, um, um, yeah, go save the world for us. Thank you. Great to be with you guys. Thanks so much. Okay, well, that was Brandon Wolf, and uh, Brandon is off to uh, to other other great things, and um, we appreciate him being on with us. Uh, Brody, any other final things that you had to bring up in our final minutes here? Well, I, one of the things I think is kind of important, and especially now, uh, is we're starting to see this trend with young people uh, in these various states, as I mentioned at the top of the hour, that are participating. Uh, in peaceful, nonviolent protest against these policies that are inherently unfair uh, and they're discriminatory. I, I want to give a shout-out and uh, props uh, to all the young people uh, in these high schools across the United States that are participating and uh, in, in, in being proactive about standing up uh, for their trans uh, siblings, uh, standing up for themselves, I think it's really important that, you know, they also understand that there is a wider, you know, community of humanity uh, across an entire spectrum and very diversified that absolutely applauds uh, what they're doing. And I I think it's just absolutely marvelous. So uh, to the kids that are doing this in places like uh, Minnesota and Texas and Tennessee, um, you know, kudos, guys. Just kudos. Well done. Well, and it's you know it's interesting because the the people who were kids just a few years ago, um, especially with you know Parkland and a lot of the um, gun violence issues, and a lot of um, kids who have become aware of the issues of their day. I mean, including climate change and and all those things. Um, those kids are now young adults. Those kids are now voters, and those kids can now be candidates, and that needs to happen. Um, you, know, it, you know, we need, we need to get that progressive sphere at, at that level of um, governance. And, um, you know, even if it's not a quick protest and, you know, and a, a letting out of, of quick anger, but it has to do with sitting in, you know, bureaucratic meetings and and working working in that way. Um, that's the reality of the system, and um, we need people to step up to it. No, I completely agree. I I think it's really uh, critically important that these young adults and young people uh, do proactively engage and. You know, they're oftentimes led by people like Brandon um, and and uh, young Cameron, who uh, we were kidding about earlier. He's a Parkland uh, High School uh, massacre survivor, and also uh, one of the he was actually one of the principal founders of March for Our Lives. So I, I think it's I think it's very very important, and it's just my wish that you know, as an adult, as an editor of um, a progressive news. Uh, paper that uh, I can be very supportive of these efforts of theirs, uh, which I've tried to be, and and I hope that my colleagues and I 
uh, are able to help them uh, to convey their messages because I, I do and their messaging. I think it's really, really, really important. Right. No, absolutely. So um, we're down to our last few minutes, and one thing we don't get a, an opportunity to do a lot on the show is um, give you some space to talk about the LA Blade, what's coming up there, how do people read the LA Blade, um, and get involved with it. Yeah, no, I and thank you for that. Um, it's LosAngelesBlade.com, uh, uh, and uh, we are a daily news operation. Uh, we also have uh, a print edition that's published every Friday that's distributed uh, in the Los Angeles area, obviously. Uh, but for the rest of you, just uh, it's LosAngelesBlade.com. Uh, I, I try to, uh, you know, the, put together news uh, that is of importance across a spectrum. We do have some special events uh, coming up. Uh, we are making special note. I want to give a shout-out uh, to the Los Angeles Library System uh, and their exhibit, uh, the Yelp Puppeteers and the Turnabout Theater, uh, which is an exhibition that's now being held uh, in the Getty Auditorium of the main library. I want to give a shout-out to them. Uh, I also uh, want people to know that uh, as we start to gear up for Halloween, uh, to make sure that you know you guys are careful. We do have some events across Los Angeles uh, that's going on, and we'll talk about more in the next week or so uh, in the blade. Um, and outside of that, um, you know, we, we genuinely appreciate our readers. Uh, we appreciate you guys sharing our stories uh, and, uh, you know, drop a line to info at losangelesblade.com. If you have a question or a comment, or if you have a story you think that we need to cover, I would genuinely, genuinely uh, like to hear from you. Well, there you go. Well, thank you, Brody, so much for everything you do, including your, your help and work on this show, as well as, the obviously, the L.A. Blade, which is an important publication, an important voice um, on our journalism um, landscape. Uh, I want to thank our listeners um, for tuning in. We very much appreciate you. Please do share the show um, and have people subscribe to it. Uh, if nothing else, you can always Google us at Rated LGBT Radio and It'll come up in the different podcast platforms. Uh, will show up right there, and you can listen to the show. Um, and I want to thank Brandon, Brandon for joining us today. Um, he is absolutely phenomenal. I just love listening to him. He's so smart and um, visionary and important. And um, I, I can't say enough about his work and everything he does to contribute. Um, but please do tune in next week. We are going to have another fabulous show, and no clue what it's going to be at this point, but I can guarantee you it will be well worth your time and well worth the listen. So for those of us at LGBT Radio, um, I want to thank you, or rated LGBT Radio. Um, forgot the rated part. Um, uh, thank you for tuning in, and stay tuned next week, and we can't wait to talk to you then. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio. 